2: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
3: Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, Something From The Cellar, another mini episode from our midweek drop that sees us revisit some of the brilliant guests we've had on the show over the last four years. Hence, Something From The Cellar little treasure trove brimming with vintage cuts from over 200 guests served up in bite-sized portions as a little midweek treat think of it as some of our truly best bits from our truly best guests and this week we're raising a glass to the amazing stories that our guests have shared about their experiences with the royal family our first guest is Nick Knowles, my first ever TV husband. And when I started out working on the small screen back in 1998, it was on a youth current affairs show on ITV with Nick called Straight Up. Here we are discussing, well, a show we'll never forget. Do you remember that uh, fateful night in 1997? For some reason that night I, I hadn't been able to sleep and I thought, oh, it's because we've got a show the next morning. So our show was on Sunday lunch times and it was live. And on the Saturday night, I was watching the news and it was very late and I saw that there had been an accident in a tunnel in Paris and that Dirty Fayed um was reported to have lost his life and Diana was seriously injured at that point. And yep. I remember phoning you in your room and saying, Well they'll never we'll never be on air tomorrow. This is terrible. I,
1: because I was watching it, I went, you rang me and I went, Are you looking at this? And you were like, Yeah I was like, can't believe it. And you said they won't have us on air tomorrow. I said, well you never know, they might do, because Princess Diana was uh, all about sort of youth... youth um, Causes. Uh, causes. Um, so it's just possible uh, that she might. So anyway, next morning, we kind of woke up and went into the office early.
3: See, so I didn't go to bed that night. I stayed watching the one news channel we had in the Novotel. And we got into work really early and our office was a porter cabin in the car park. It was totally what? glamorous. I remember you sat there in a pair of jeans and I think cowboy boots. And I was thinking, Nick, you say something. You say, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. We can't do this. She's only done seven hours or eight hours of telly up until now. And I was terrified that they were going to put us on air. And I was I was a complete novice.
1: I was absolutely determined that we were going to go on air because I thought that we could actually present it in a way that... Um... That the main mainstream news wouldn't, and I don't know if you remember, but very early in that process, I said, uh, "Right, I'm going to London. I think we were on air about eleven o'clock. I'm going to London. I've got to get up to London really quickly, but I've got to stop off at Southampton at nine o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning to find a shop to buy a black suit because I was only, yeah. only had cowboy boots and a, and, a, and a pair of jeans. So I was stopped. That's right. Bought a suit."
3: You, didn't? You stop at an undertaker's.
1: Yeah, and then, well, then basically, because the, I couldn't get a suit anywhere, it was nowhere open, so I, went to, I managed to get myself a suit. And then we drove up like a, like lunatics all the way up to to London. I, was, I can't remember who was driving me, but somebody was driving me.
3: Ian e May.
1: Ian e May, hey. and they set up the OB unit outside Buckingham Palace, and I was literally running up uh, the Mall uh, with three, two minutes to one air, and them saying I was getting, starting to get messages through on my uh, saying you. Uh, we're on air in two minutes so I literally ran up they stuck an earpiece in and I said what have you got (laughs) to the director of the gallery and he went nothing just start talking and I'll tell you when we've got something (laughs) meanwhile whilst I'm racing to London you're trying to pull something together back in Southampton
3: we were told that we might be put on air and we've got to prep as if we would and I was really trying to keep my cool but I'm sort of scratching my head going Uh, Two months ago, I was editing uh, a pop magazine, and now this—this is one of the probably, arguably, the biggest story that you could ever be a part of, and it's so tragic. And I was thinking, there's no way they'll put us on there, but we've got to—we've got to be prepared. And then I think about 45 minutes before we went live, they came through and said, "ITM needs to reconfigure. You're going to take the hour. There's a chance that the prime minister will talk." I know I had to interrupt the show to cross live to Tony Blair, and I was told that they dispatched a researcher and they'd found somebody that was sleeping rough who'd met Diana. We literally had them in the studio to talk about, you know, the personal touch. anyway, long story short, they then said to me, you've got to edit together the tribute package that will go out at the end of the show. Diana, Princess of the Young was my brief. So I'd get into this edit suite with an editor and he was like, well, what do you want? I went, I've done seven edits in my life. <laughs> like, what? And he went, and what music do you want? And I said, I don't know. And it was a Sunday and the music library was shut. We couldn't get in. So what happened was, right, so I said to him, start cutting these pictures. And I started to assemble some rushes of of her doing the kind of work that spoke to young people. And I legged it out to my car. And I'd only just got back from, I'd been to Bosnia for the show and Ibiza. And the music that I had in the car was either indie or pretty much hardcore rave, yeah? And I was just trying to find a track to play that that, that tribute out on, And all I had was Elton John's Greatest Hits. And I'm going through the track listings and I thought, I'm still saying, no, 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 sad songs. No, 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 no. Candle in the Wind, she was on Norma Jean. I- I'll see what they say. So I ran it back into the edit, spoke to, to Trish and um, said, what about this? She said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then we went on air and it was the most surreal hour but that was the hour nick where i went from saying i'm just having a little um try before you buy with telly to then going i can't ever do anything other than this because this is this is this is it this is amazing
1: yeah. at that stage so i'd been i'd been in news and current affairs for a long time uh, on tv news um, and so I arrive outside the gates of Buckingham Palace, stick the earpiece in and say, hey, what have you got? And they went, nothing yet. Keep, start talking and we'll tell you when we've got something to roll. I was like, okay. So it came on and that's where I was talking about earlier about referring to the people around us because they came on air and everybody, what was really interesting was that already at that stage that morning, uh, young people were turning up and shouting abuse at the press cordon because they felt somehow that they were responsible for what had happened. Um, And so I started off and I said, you know, here we are outside Buckingham Palace and already this morning, uh, young people are turning up, having been out for nightclubs and clubs in in London are coming to the scene and bringing flowers uh, to lay outside Buckingham Palace. But also I have to tell you that the press cordon here is getting some abuse from people who believe that the press are responsible. We were the first people to talk about that sense that she was sort of hounded in. And then then all of a sudden they said, yeah, we've got this retrospective uh, throw to the tape. So... Um, or throw back into the studio whatever it was. And then we went into that piece where you'd put together um, the stuff to candle in the wind. And um,
3: as I understand it, after that, it just got a lot of pickup on radio and it became almost um, an anthem for Diana.
1: I've always credited you with that. I, you actually found it, it it was exactly right for the time. and um, And it did get picked up by lots and lots of other people. But it's interesting because I think because we've told that story a couple of times earlier on in maybe whenever, let's not talk about how many years ago, Um, It was. um, I I think that's been picked up by somebody else who now believes it's their story.
3: Like Last year sometime, I wake up one Sunday morning and my Twitter notifications are going bing, bing, bing. And I don't really tweet much these days. Um, I lurk, but I don't participate. And there you are taking Kay Burley to task because she claimed that they were the first network to play this song. And I just thought... Well, I'm not going to get embroiled in this because this is this is distasteful. This is about who played a a piece of music yeah. to illustrate the loss of an you know basically of, of of a woman that so many loved. But fundamentally, two young boys lost their mum that day. And I, I thought, I'm not going to get involved. But you went into the dogfight with them, and you were like, "No, you did not." I think you will find <laughs> you really you really you were very gallant, Nick, on my behalf. Thank you. <laughs> And now we move to another tv titan this time it's susanna constantine who for years ruled the airwaves with trini woodall helping us all to become better dressed but here she is talking about the profound bond she developed with her boyfriend what well, her old boyfriend david linley's mother margaret during the many years that they dated and when i say david linley i should probably give him his full title that's viscount david linley and his mother margaret well she would be the late Princess Margaret. It turns out she was a wonderful confidant for Susanna who really helped to open her eyes to the beauty of vulnerability. Let's get into it. I think all of us have great teachers in our back catalogue and I want to know who have been your greatest teachers?
4: So many people, Kate. Princess Margaret was one.
3: You were very close with her, weren't you? Yeah,
4: and I went out with her son David for, many years and i was very close with her when my mum was at her peak of you know her illness reached its its kind of height she very much became a sort of mother figure i was almost like kind of her pygmalion and i was very close to her and she taught i can't kind of think of anything that she specifically taught me but she she taught me how to kind of conduct myself, I think, and how to not really care about what other people think, um, which is of huge value. She was an amazing woman and I I really, I miss her and I loved her dearly. And she, she taught me to be completely open and she was someone who I could absolutely pour my heart out to and speak my mind. And... Um, you know, she's, she's been so misunderstood. Uh, and of course she could be, you know, she had her reputation of being difficult, which she could be, but if she realized that you were someone who hadn't didn't want anything from her or wasn't hoping to gain by an association with her, she was an incredibly loyal, warm, loving, brilliant, smart, highly intelligent, funny woman. So she's definitely someone who I feel so blessed to have had in my life. Isn't it
3: interesting as well? The, th- the thing that she taught you there, you said was to be open. And yet this is from a woman who spent her entire life having to be remarkably closed off.
4: You Yes and no. Yes and no. I think when you're, you, you know, it's like growing up in a zoo being mm-hmm. in that environment and you've got people pressed up. you their noses pressed up to the glass. Mm. You know, it's like being a silverback gorilla. You got people with their noses pressed up against the window, so you learn to to ignore it. You learn to just get on with your life because you have no no other option. So um, you know, she was truly herself. I think at all times, and I have I, I had huge respect for that. If you wanted to just speak with Margaret. Did
3: you just call her? Could you just drop in? Was it? You know, how does how does that work?
4: Um, well, I was kind of you know I spent a lot of time with them and um, I would just yeah I would ring or turn up or you know it was same as any other family really fair you know you I didn't really think about who she was she was just my boyfriend's mum
3: yeah that's
4: lovely mm.
3: who else who else is shaped informed and educated.
4: I think probably my husband, Steen, um, and also my children. I've learned so Mm -hmm. much from my children. But I think my husband, he's someone who has a thirst for knowledge. He's someone who will... I don't always like to get his opinion because I know I'll get the brutal truth and more often than not, it won't be what I want to hear and I'm still trying to get my head around that one. Um, Uh, Do you understand the irony though of of the fact that
3: you are famous for straight talking,
4: no nonsense advice giving? I know, (laughs) but it's like you don't, you know, the people you love the most are the hardest to communicate with sometimes and, um, but he's he's, what he's taught me more than anything is About family and growing up, because my family was quite dysfunctional, I I wanted to get away from my family as as quickly and as fast as I possibly could. I was out that door, you know, at the age of sixteen, and um, I didn't really put any value on them. You know, my friends became my family. I sought my family, so. When I was, you know, in my friends, they they kind of fitted into two categories. I either had the naughty children, who I could be naughty with, or I had the sort of parental, slightly more sensible friends. And so, if you like, Princess Margaret was the mother. Um, and then Steen, you know, he comes from a very close family, and I love, his father sadly died, but I was very, very close to his parents and, and to his brothers. And I've, I've learned to appreciate that family is the most important thing. Whereas I never understood, I never understood that. I thought family was the people, the, they were the people you had to cast off and shed. I absolutely, to my core, believe that. And he's taught me the importance of family.
3: Actually, now that you, you put it like that, and I understand your own experience of childhood, that makes complete sense. Mm. But to hear that as somebody that has not grown up, like Steen, I've grown up with a f- phenomenal family setup. So I know what family should be because I feel like mm. I've been blessed to have that. If you haven't, that that gives you no tools to kind of parent, be in a relationship. Actually, that, that family unit and what you're taught with that is so important in terms of, setting you out in life Mm. if you don't have that but how funny that you tried to run from your own family looking for some sort of normal family structure and you run straight into the royal family yeah Yeah,
4: that's kind of yeah but you know (laughs) they they were as individuals forget their relationships with each other individually you know amazingly well informed interesting people
3: That was such a cracking episode, jam packed with a wide range of compelling topics. Susanna opened up about her journey to recovery from alcoholism, the challenges of growing up with a bipolar mother, and even treated us to a little anecdote about her attendance at Elton John's 60th birthday party. Shifting gears now, we direct our focus to the uproarious Russell Kane. Here he is, regaling us with a, frankly, hilarious anecdote about an embarrassing incident that occurred on the red carpet while he and his wife, Lindsay, were attending the Prince's Trust Awards.
5: It was the Prince's Trust Awards where you queue on the red carpet to go in and for people listening to this that have ever been to watch a red carpet event in a theatre what they do is so you're not bored while you're waiting for it to start they film the red carpet and project it into the theatre yeah. so one, two, three thousand 3,000 people can watch you know, Joel Domit on the red carpet being interviewed etc <laughs> um, and me and Lindsay of course were late um, why were you late we how can you be late for such because, a prestigious so what, event what happened, what happened I, I've got this fear when I do a red carpet of being late and then being on the red carpet at the same time as the high profile guest you know like just behind Tom Hanks as a, like a nobody or something what like that they trying like to like shove you
3: off the carpet yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly
5: it's just a phobia I've got, i like to be first with all the Geordie Sherlock <laughs> and really shine and uh, I uh, we were in we were in so, this is again what I saying about the beginning of the conversation so Lindsay would be like let's just I didn't like hovering, let's get there at the last minute, get the adrenaline, roll onto the carpet. And I'm like, why don't we get there early and we can always have a coffee around the corner and walk onto the carpet at the right moment rather than risk a slow taxi journey. That's an example of how our brains work different straight away. Yeah. And we, we left it, she won. We had a nice relaxing cocktail at the, in Dean Street. And because we didn't leave enough time, as we walked out, her. Her trousers, unfortunately, had split at the at the bum, basically. Um, oh, God. So I, she's walking in front of me to get into our taxi and I'm like, your trousers are completely split at the arse. We have a massive row. So we have to go into a hotel, beg for a sewing kit. She's sewing <laughs> her trousers in the toilet while I scream under the door. So we're really going to, I know we're going to have a crap night no matter what happens anyway. <laughs> we then, the last, the last people onto the carpet, Prince Charles has gone ahead. Everyone's gone ahead of us and are in the theatre, more or less, just a few stragglers and PR people. And I'm, just in just do the press mode So I didn't occur to me that this was being broadcast live into the theater I just thought this was some random bit of media I could say what I like and they would edit it at a later date didn't edit myself <laughs> and as we're talking Lindsay has bent down to pick up her bag off the red carpet trousers have split again and <sighs> where the cameraman thought oh, what's she doing she's doing something funny has accidentally filmed her Nicholas split leather trousers and broadcast <laughs> our actual mum hole into the theatre oh with royalty god. presents.
3: And Charles and when was already we walk- seated.
5: And when we walked in, when we were laughing, you get you get sort of put into the front seat by going yeah. in a special door. About six hundred people went, Way! and I thought Oh my god, I'm doing so well at the moment. Even celebrities are cheering me. Not realising what everyone had seen. It was on the Daily Mail website within within thirty minutes and people if you want to Google it Russell Kane, uh, Lindsey Kane's wife, wardrobe malfunction, Prince's Trust, you'll see the censored picture in the sidebar of shame.
3: You, you made the sidebar of shame with
5: it? Uh, we made it within 30 minutes, before the interval, it was there. But Lindsay's always angry up until, yes, well, most people saw it, they saw the... uh Rather more of it than they should. Uh, But she's always angry. I've just seen. Sorry, you actually posted a bum hole
3: with the rip with this with with this like a winky emoji
5: on Instagram. I'm like if uh, (laughs) if the story is. I always say, Lindsay, Lindsay, you're being like, is it gonna? Are people gonna pay tickets to you? Say, I'm like, yes. She's like, where are we going on holiday? Maldives. Okay, I'll keep the mouth shut. That's that's very much. I'm allowed. to My mum's the same. I'm allowed to be horrible as long as it's a nice holiday.
3: (laughs) As long as there's a Maldives break at the end of it. That's brilliant. And if you want to wrap your ears around that full episode with Russell Kane, it's available now in our back catalogue. Thanks, as always, for joining me for a little something from The Cellar. I hope you're enjoying these weekly visits down to The Cellar as much as I am as we revisit some truly vintage conversation. I'll be back on Friday with a brand new guest. And in the meantime, all of the episodes that are featured in this episode are available in our back catalogue. You can search for them using the name of the guest in your search bar. So this week, you've been listening to the wonderful Nick Knowles, to Susanna Constantine, and Russell Kane. I'll see you
4: Friday. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
0: Hold up.